Thank you, Daryl and Daphne and our brothers back here for ministering to us as Jay and some of the worship team is on their way to Nashville for a conference, and um, we appreciate you guys using your giftedness. If you open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we began uh, last week a mini-series on uh, living generously. What does it look like to live generously? And what does it look like to apply the principles of Scripture to our life on a regular basis so that our life reflects the generosity of our God? I'm going to be reading 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to look at verse 6 through 15. We'll break it down from there. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance of every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave gifts to the poor, his righteousness abides forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. And because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. And while they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord, we thank you for the privilege we've had to worship you and singing and now worship you by the way we respond to your word. We know, Lord, the many examples in scripture as your people gather together and whether it be listening to the prophets or the apostles teaching you consider that and our response and your people's response is worship and so lord help us to respond to what you want to say to us in these few moments and thank you so much for this passage which is so rich and so instructive to us we thank you in jesus name amen amen i uh this year have a great uh, privilege to Coach freshman football, that's a, that's a ton of fun. And, um, and so I get to do it with uh, Tony Daler, which makes it even, even funner. Um, but on, on the varsity games, I have a different role. I stand way up, the highest spot you can be above the press box. I get to be way up there and look down on the game. And my, responsi my responsibility is to communicate with the coaches on the field and say, hey, here's what I'm seeing formation-wise Here's what their linebackers are doing, or here's what their quarterback is doing, and so we can make adjustments. And so as I look over the field and see all that's going on, I get to communicate what I see. But there's something else I see when I'm way up there. There's a lot of players, there's fans, there's a lot of people, but there's one player on that field my eyes tend to gravitate towards, my son, my child. And amidst all those people, I can't help but watch what David does. I can't help but watch 
how he responds to receivers and how he's tackling and all those things. And much probably to his chagrin, I'll let him know what I see. And I'll provide instruction. But it's not just David. It's, it, it's the whole team. As we, I come down and share what I saw from way up in the, the heights, uh, I say, hey, here's some things we, I think we can do. And, and, uh, and so we go into halftime and we, we provide instruction for the team and say, guys, here's the adjustments we need to make. As we look at our opponents and we look at those who we're interacting with on the field, guys, here's adjustments we need to make to be successful. Because after all, there's some coaches on the heights who are getting the full picture. That's a great example of God, who's on the heights, who looks down among all the people, and he's got an eye for you, by the way, as his child. And he says, I have instruction for you of how to adjust your life so it will be successful in his eyes, that you'll have an impact, not just in this world, for generations to come. And we have a word from God who stands on the heights in 2 Corinthians 9. It says, I got something for you. As my people, some instruction of how you can live a life that's successful and pleasing to me. Now in this text, Paul begins in verse 7 with these guidelines for giving. Now, some, there's four, about 400 scriptures in the Bible that talk about giving and generosity. So what should our response be to those scripture? In the passage, Paul points to benefits the Corinthians will reap as a result of generous giving, but he also gives some guidelines on the, front, on the forefront of it all. And so let's see what instruction he gives. Verse 7, let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart. There's a lot there in that one statement. First of all, giving is to be an individual matter, settled in the privacy of one's heart. As Paul says, giving what he has purposed and decided in his heart. Notice the word each is placed on the front of the sentence. It's placed there for emphasis. The question then is how much should we give? How much generosity should flow through our life? Each one decides in his heart. Now as a Christian, we're also told in Scripture, set apart in your hearts, Christ is Lord. So if I put two truths together, it would stand to reason that as Christ is Lord in my life, he is the one who tells me in my heart what I should purpose, what I should decide. After all, he is Lord. And so what better thing to do than is to seek my Lord and say, Lord, what would you want me to do? How would you want me to live as the one who's on the heights? How would you want me to live? How would you want me to give? And so giving is an individual matter, settled in the privacy of the heart. A second thing this verse tells us is giving requires resolve. The text reads what he has purposed, what he has decided. The Greek words carry a little bit more nuance of choosing deliberately or to make up one's own mind about something. It's not emotion. Paul said it's really a calculated decision. It's not a matter to be settled lightly or impulsively. It's something each must consider in their mind and in their heart. And again, I go back to what would God want to give. That requires prayer. It requires thought. To be frankly honest, in my life anyways, it, it, it requires me to set aside some things of maybe how I perceive situations and circumstances and say, God, we talked last week, right? Remember the clean slate? Wipe it clean and say, God, what do you want? And I think we need to purpose that in our heart, a deliberate calculation that God's in the center of the equation 
of how we look at life. We're also told giving is to be private, not a public decision. It's to be decided where? In the heart. The seat of our affections. Not for public recognition, not pomp and circumstances attached to donations. The real reason to give is because we cannot help give, but give. I like the way William Barclay puts it. Because the need awakens a desire that cannot be stilled. Isn't that good? The need awakens a desire that cannot be stilled. And so Paul immediately gives us guidelines. He gives the Corinthians guidelines for giving. But then he launches into who will benefit from generous living? Who are the beneficiaries of living in such a way that we seek to bless people by giving to them and to living generously? And I want you to notice, because I think this is really significant and we tend to forget it, what I'll call the ripple effect when we give. First of all, he states the beneficiary, the first beneficiary you see in verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you. And so the giver, the one who actually gives, is a beneficiary. The response to generosity God has is to make all grace abound to the giver. Now the verb to abound is found multiple times. And not surprisingly, the word grace is also because it's out of his grace that he's able to make all things abound. Now, it's not just talking about material possessions. Those who say, hey, we're to give to get material possessions back are missing the point. We give to please God. We give to honor God. And we can't outgive God, so he continues to bless in many ways with peace and joy, not just material possessions. I think we're missing it that way. Here it refers, I think, to the giver's unmerited favor with God. As you see in verse 8, he is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Now, I want you to follow this through a little bit. I believe here the term grace invites us to consider that whatever we possess, be it physical or spiritual, we possess by reason of God's favor, not because of personal merit. And in light of that verse says, God is able. By implication, we're not. God is able to do this. It's his power and provision. It's God Almighty who provides the means to be generous. It's the same thought found in the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 10.8 where he says, freely you have received, starts there, so freely give. We don't turn the equation around. It's by grace we've received and God, I think, want, doesn't want to raise our standard of living but our standard of giving. That's what he's about. He wants us to live generously in our life. And this order is important. It's only as we freely receive that we can freely give. So Paul's mention of the first beneficiary of living generously is the giver himself or herself. God's abounding grace extends beyond the mere replenishment of resources. I mean, he is powerful not only to replace resources spent in Christian service, but also to multiply them to the point that at all times and in all things we have all that we need, end of verse 8, that you might have an abundance. What's the point of having our resources replenished? Well, it seems to me that we can abound in every good work, as the end of verse uh, 8 says. You have all abundance, and then he gives the reason. See, to abound in every good work. In other words, God says, I'm going to provide so you can keep giving, so you can keep living generously. That's what God's about. He wants us to live generously. 
To illustrate the point in verse 9, Paul quotes the psalmist's praise to God of those who freely give to the poor. In other words, the person who dares to live generously towards those in need is compared to the farmer who scatters his seed while sowing. And to sow by scattering is really the opposite of sowing sparingly. The farmer who scatters seed is generous with the seed. Generosity of the hand usually flows from the generosity of the heart. Now, hopefully let's read this week in the next step. You read chapters 1 through 4 of the Money Challenge. If you haven't picked up that book, it's in the foyer. It's free, and it's kind of our next step uh, as we're going together. And so this next week, you're reading chapters 5 through 8. But there's a quote in chapter 4 I grabbed from the author. He said, God provided you to be a conduit through his generosity to flow. And the beautiful thing is, God says, when you live that way, there's actually going to be benefit to you. You're going to be enriched in every way. Now look at verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the, for the sower and bread for the food will supply and, don't miss this word, multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. The effects of generous living, the effects of generosity, not only limited impact, but God will multiply it. God will increase the impact we have. Those who live generously find that they're enriched in every way. Look at verse 11. You will be enriched in everything. Why? For all liberality. Again, you'll be rich so you can continue to live generously. That word enrich is really great because it really means what it says. God's going to enrich your life. He's going to bolster your spirit. There's going to be a peace and a joy he gives. And when he enriches a life, it's truly enriched. That's the promise we have. So the giver benefits when he lives generously. But the next obvious beneficiary is the recipient. Verse 12 Verse 11 says, you'll be enriched in everything for liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. We'll stop there. The supplies the needs of the saints. In other words, this aid Paul has in mind is the Corinthians' contribution, as Acts tells us, to the Jerusalem collection, which is called ministry. Their giving supported real people in real need. There are people who benefit from generosity. And in this case, it's the Judean Christians. They, they, they den their need denoted a shortage in the basic necessities of life. And in the first century, that amounted to food, clothing, and shelter. So help was offered through the Corinthians' contribution. And it was by way of necessity, not luxury. People are blessed, they're encouraged, they're built up when we live generously. When we invest in lives, when we invest in ministry, there's a, a generational impact, but there's an impact on recipients, not just now. Think about this for a moment, this ripple effect again. Granted, we benefit so we can continue to be a blessing, but the recipients benefit. But whenever you invest in, a, let's say, a family, let's say you help a family in need and you bless them, you also position that family to continue to give. You position that family to continue to grow. And when you position that family, you affect not just dad and mom, but the children the next generation. We give, there's a ripple effect that takes place. We tend to forget that. 
We tend to think of just the moment or just the immediate recipient. And so the beneficiary here is clearly the recipient. And that generosity brought them together as partners in ministry with the Judean Christians. So think about that. As they gave, they began to partner together with ministry to a people they did not even know. And so that's kind of a rich thought. It's like when you uh, donate or, or set aside money and give to a missionary. You are now partnering with them in ministry. And you begin to take a little more serious about what's going on because you have an investment in that situation. You are partnering with them in ministry. Whenever we give to missionaries or ministries, we enter into a partnership with them. And so the beneficiaries, Paul says, is the giver indeed, but the recipient. But he's not done. There's a third recipient, God. What do you mean? Look at verse 11 and 12. End of verse 11. You'll be rich in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing what? Thanksgiving to God. He's not done. Verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. When we give, when we live generously, God's praised. Thanksgivings resulting to God. And think about when maybe somebody's done something for you. It might not just be giving resources. Maybe they gave you a note. Maybe they, they, they gave you a word of encouragement in a time of need. In some way, maybe something was given to you, a generous word, generous uh, a kind thoughts or deeds. You're kind of left in a position of saying, you want to say thank you, thank you, thank you over and over. In some cases, it's anonymous, and you only have one choice, one place to direct that thanksgiving. It's to God. You see, he's the beneficiary, if I may. When we give, he gets the praise, he gets the glory. And this is a key point. It's not the Corinthians who receive the recipient's gratitude. It's God, as it should be. When we do not live generously, we deny opportunities for people to praise God. This sometimes stingy, I'll only give on my terms attitude robs you and others of opportunities to praise God. And here's Paul's point. The church at large recognizes the generosity for what it is. God's grace at work in the life of those who gave. It's God's grace in enriching lives and in blessing lives who those who turned around and gave. And the, the Judean Christians of that time who received it said, you know what, we recognize this gift is really from the hand of God. Thank you for being the conduit. And we direct our praise to God as it should be. Verse 13 tells us, because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ. So while the immediate aim of the collection is to bless those with the need, the ultimate goal is to bring glory and honor to God. The enabler and the provider will each lift up honor and praise to God. Now the recipient's praise is grounded in a couple things. One, they'll praise God for the confession or the obedience of their confession. The Jew and Gentile this time, the Corinthians were giving, and those were giving actually among the body. You had Jews and Gentiles, and there were still many Jews who looked on Gentiles with fear and suspicion. But because the Gentiles gave and partnered them with ministry, they began to praise God for their confession of the gospel. In other words, they said, we can see 
that you've responded to the good news. We, res- we see in your giving that you love Christ and that now we're part of the same family. And so we rejoice. And they show gratitude to God by being openly, that those who received it were openly obedient to the plain meaning of the message of Christ. And so we have these beneficiaries when we give. The giver, the recipient, God. There's a fourth one. This is a ripple effect again. The church as a whole. The key urgency of Paul's appeal. For the most part, the recipients, again, were conservative Jewish Christians. They still regard the Gentiles, again, with a certain amount of fear and suspicion. For them, the collection proves the Gentiles' profession of faith. And Paul speaks to this impact generosity will have in verse 14. For while they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God. Notice that word. The prayers for the Corinthians would be offered. And so these recipients of this gift would in turn pray for the Corinthians. But even more than that, notice what it would, what it would create. It would create a yearning for a closer relationship, a closer partnership. Their giving communicated a heart of love, and the recipients received it as it was and says, oh, we yearn for your fellowship. It's blessed us as a church, as a corporate group, Jew and Gentile together, dividing wall of hostility destroyed, brought together by the blood of Christ. The whole church was blessed and still is by generous living. And another expected result in verse 14 is as the recipients pray, Paul says, their hearts will go out to the contributing churches. And as Jewish recipients prayed for Gentile patrons, their hearts would be warmed towards them. Isn't that a good principle? Really, when you begin to pray for people specifically, doesn't your heart start to warm towards them? Don't you take a new interest in them maybe you didn't have before? And that's a good exhortation. If you're having trouble with somebody or, or misunderstood or something like, pray for them. God will warm your heart towards them. It's the way it should be. And that's what's going on in here in this context. Now Paul caps off his words with a proclamation, a form of thanksgiving for what is at work in the act of giving. Grace. Kind of ends it almost as he began it. Verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now if I can read this different ways, you'll notice a word's missing, which is kind of key to the text. Thanks be to God for his gift. Thanks be to God for a really nice, cool gift. Thanks, God. Thanks, God, for tipping your hat to me. It's not what Paul says at all. As he considers all this, as he considers how God's grace has been at work in all of this, and blessing the givers and blessing the recipients and blessing God, lifting up his name, is the whole church was blessed because of, because of it. Paul says into the Corinthians, he says, it's all God's grace. Thanks be to God for his indescribable grace because it's behind it all. All that we have is from his grace. All that we're able to give is because of his grace. All that we celebrate as God's people is all because of his grace. It's only fitting that Paul kind of ends this little section, this instruction, with these words. Thanks be to God for his wonderful, beyond measure, indescribable, inexhaustible, unsearchable grace towards us as his people. 
And if you find yourself with wet wood trying to ignite the fire within you, and uh, if you're having trouble, just kind of reflect on his grace. If life's got difficult and, and you're having trouble focusing on, on, on what you're really called here and what your mission is on earth, focus on his grace. Get into scriptures, look up the word grace. It'll warm the fires. It will kindle and ignite a new fire within you to walk with God and to minister for God. Paul says, thanks be to God. What are some applications? Application is the word I use, and I think it's an important word. I don't just flippantly throw it out there. Knowledge is good. But to get from knowledge to wisdom takes one thing, application. It's good to leave with knowledge. Good to know things, but it doesn't make you wise. It just makes you, well, knowledgeable. The way to get from knowledge to wisdom is to apply the very thing that you're knowledgeable about. And so that's what we want to do. How do we apply what we read? Now, in every case I preach, there's a lot more applications than what I'm going to put out there, but I think these are good for us. Don't forget God's guidelines for giving. It's an individual matter. There's to be resolve. It's to be private. And evaluate, so evaluate your motives. Let God speak to your heart. As we enter this building campaign, that's something we're committed to. Let God tell you how you're to be involved. And that's important. Let God, with the white slate clean again, let God speak. And listen and respond to what he tells you. Number two, when you and I live generously, when we give generously, don't ever forget God's glorified in it. When our motives are right, if our motives are to please him and we live and give generously, God is glorified. The one who sits on the heights, who looks down and sees his children, he's the one who's pleased. And that should be our ultimate goal in everything. Thirdly, when you and I live and give generously toward believers, we become partners in ministry. We stand alongside one another in trying to carry out the gospel call and to minister to people. And that makes our gifts, that makes our investments, whether it be time, energy, gifts, whatever it would be, it makes a chance to multiply ministry, to impact people's lives. And don't underestimate. You might say, well, I don't have much to give. I, you know, I, I don't, it seems like I can give a night to really invest in this or or it seems like I have meager resources. And a lot of people I talk to, some of you included, it's like, well, I don't, I don't, my spiritual gift doesn't seem that important. It is important. And when we live generously and give out of what God's blessed us with, God takes it and he multiplies it. There was a missionary in Hong Kong who felt led to start a Christian camp. That missionary, John Beckel, started looking for property where this camp could be located. And John Beckel came across a bankrupt multi-million dollar hotel and conference center that was for sale. He made an offer to purchase the property. And then he traveled extensively trying to raise the millions he would need. But he ran into the hardship in which no one would give. There was no one who responded to his passion. And he tried he tried, but no one was willing to help, and so he returned to Hong Kong, as you can imagine, discouraged. And a few days before the real estate closing, he got a letter from a young girl, and it had in the envelope a dollar bill and a note saying she wanted him to use this to buy the camp, 
and she'd heard about it. John Beckel obviously prayed and obviously scoffed at the dollar bill. I mean, you know, it's a multi-million dollar hotel and conference center after all. He prayed and he felt like he should take this dollar bill to the closing. I don't know about you, but that don't make a lot of sense, does it? Well, unbelievably, corporation, unbelievably to the normal eye, they accepted the dollar bill. And he was stunned. Shouldn't have been, but he was stunned because he had been praying anyways. And since that camp first opened, over a million people have come to it. And if their numbers are correct, about 100,000 people came to Jesus Christ because a little girl gave $1. Who's the multiplier? God. And whenever you give of your time or your energy, of your giftedness or your resources, which he's entrusted to you, God says, oh, now you're in position for me to really expand that impact. And if God can impact millions of lives through a simple dollar gift, can you imagine what he can do to a generous life, to a generous church? Every day you and I have a choice, a choice to live a lifestyle of generosity. There's choices every single day we have that God puts before us. We have a current opportunity with our campaign to choose to give generously to impact the next generation. In each case, whether it be daily decisions or larger decisions like the campaign, what we can say to each of them is thanks be to God for the opportunity he gives us to be a conduit for his glory and his honor. Let's pray. God, my prayer is simple for myself and my brothers and sisters here. Give us a glimpse of your grace. Give us generous hearts. Please remove the barriers, if we are honest, the excuses that block us from being a conduit in which your generosity can flow. And together we thank you for the greatest gift ever given, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we, with Paul, say thanks be to God for the indescribable gift. Might we live in a way which reflects your heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.